You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. Yay! Welcome to the Bravery Night. Welcome to the Music Biz 101 and more radio advice music business show and podcast. Find us every Wednesday at Brave New Radio 88.7 FM on the campus of William Patterson University in scenic Way, New Jersey, or on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher Radio as a podcast. I am your co-host, Professor David Kirk Philp, with your other co-host, Dr. Esteban. Yes. Marconi, no. <laughs> that's right. He gets some claps. Yeah, We're live. Claps. We oh, are this is radio. This is radio. <laughs> you love it. Pre-recorded. Where are we? We're in Nashville, Tennessee, oh. at the Music Biz 2016 convention. Very good. Did you like Little Big Note? <laughs> little Little Big, big Town. Oh, little <laughs> big town. Yeah, oh so my God. Little, right. little Big Town. Yes, we were just here. Cheap Trick was up there. Robin Zander came yes. up to me specifically and said, uh, yes. "Hey, how are you?" And I said, "Pretty good." So uh, we want to thank, though, the Music Biz Association because they, they let us be here in this space, in this room. We have Judy Tint with us, who is a counselor at very law. Very fortunate Ooh. to be here. Yes, yes, we are very happy. She gets happy a clap. I was going to say she gets a clap. Thank you. Thank you. It's a delight to be here. And Judy Joe is was very nice to us now to give us this room that obviously no one wants. Right. The <laughs> no, um, You mean Jim. Nice. Jim, Why Jim, Jim because we had Joe before earlier, but yes, Jim well, Donio, president of Music Biz, was oh. very supportive of us being here, and so he gave us the space. Yes, so we were in the the bowels of the Nashville Convention Center. You'd never know if it was raining Snowing? or sunny, you know, but it started to. Be. So we want to thank the Music Biz Association for supporting this whole event. Mm-hmm. We want to thank Lisa Bremer, who is here. Hello, hello, Lisa. Lisa will be our MC of this particular. Oh. One person claps for you of this segment of the Music Biz <laughs> Radio Show. Thank you. We want to thank Mia, the Music and Entertainment Industry Educators Association, for a grant that they gave to us, which has helped supply money to Lisa, for example, who is here. We want to thank the folks at Van Dyne, Bruno, Inc., and White Hat Management, with artists like Charlie Puth, Dave Matthews, Sharon Jones, The Dap Kings, and Kiss. There's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to vb-cpa.com when Judy Tint tells you to. That's right. There we go. So just call her when you think you're ready. She'll let you know. And then we want to give thanks to Christine Vey, a wealth manager and the president of Oi Vey Wealth Management. It's just Vey Wealth Management, Mark. I just thought it would be I think they should change it. If they did change it, watch the uh, bills go up higher if it's coming in. Christine has helped many of our professionals at William Patterson manage their investments and plan out for their retirement. If you're looking for some guidance on how to plan for your retirement or if you have questions on anything from investments and portfolio management to insurance and retirement planning, give Christine a call at, please repeat after me, 732-455-1510. You could also email her, Christine, at veywealth.com for advisement. And now we advise you to listen to the banter between Lisa Bremer, music management student at William Patterson University, and Judy Tint. Well, thank you, and I'm 
very honored to have Judy Sims here. And Judy has been a experienced um, attorney, consultant, and producer in the entertainment industry for over 25 years. So she knows her stuff. Over she 25 knows, years. She knows her Thank stuff. You. Thank you. She graduated at Rutgers College and Columbia Law School. Awesome. Mm. Uh, she represents a, a variety of recording artists, songwriters, producers, engineers, managers, radio personalities. Hey, are you guys hired by her? Right? Yes, you she represents her? me. Yeah? Just okay. me, not him. <laughs> Independent labels <laughs> and others. How many? Like, on a say, let's say how many? Well, it depends on the day, you know. <laughs> there's, there's people that I've worked with for literally decades. There are people that come in on a project basis, and there are people with whom I'm lucky enough to have a long-standing relationship. I have a lot of clients that I've worked with for many, many years. I take a lot of satisfaction in that. I, I, I'm very lucky to have the um, people around me that I have. I'm, I'm a music fan first, so the fact that I get to work with people whose music I grew up on, I'll never get over. So. Now, were you ever with a large firm? I was. Mm -hmm. I was at uh, a Park Avenue firm called Prior Cash and Sherman and Flynn when I graduated from law school, and I put in some time at Goodman and Gursky as well, but I've been on my oh. own for a long, long time. Oh. Let's see, that's where the gray <laughs> hair comes from. But <laughs> right. I came by it honestly. So my first question I would like to ask is, what made the industry so appealing to you that you wanted to go into law? You know, I'll be honest with you, I'm still not even completely sure. It was mm -hmm. music that inspired me more than the law. My father was a Juilliard-educated musician. I grew mm -hmm. up with music around me, and I was a passionate fan from the very, very beginning. I still have my early records. I still have my 45s, and music was always what inspired me more than anything. So mm -hmm. once I got to law school, it was a very easy call that I wanted to get into entertainment law. Law school seemed like a good idea at the time. It, it, it's funny, when I look back on it, it wasn't as if I grew up thinking, I want to be a lawyer, I want to be a lawyer. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until I was halfway through college and trying to figure out what I was going to do next. I was a French major in college. And then somehow or another, I'm still not even 100% sure, I ended up in law school. But uh, I was lucky enough to get into a good school and that gave me access to entertainment jobs when I got out because it was really the entertainment industry that attracted me more than the law. But I saw an opportunity to be able to combine what I was most passionate about with having a professional career. So, mm -hmm. And now looking back through your time before you went to law school, what are some of the questions you would ask yourself or to someone that wants to go to law school? I would have said, do you really want to wear those pants? I don't know <laughs> about that. Um, questions that I would have asked my younger self in terms of, you know, it's easy to look back and say, well, maybe I should have done this or I could have done that, but I, I kind of trust that the universe has a great wisdom to it, and looking back, there are probably countless things that I could have done better or done differently, but somehow or another, whatever it is that I did right, wrong, or otherwise led me to where I am, and I'm fortunate to be where I am, so I figure there is a wisdom to it that goes beyond anything that, that I can really explain. I know that might sound a little hippy-dippy, but <laughs> I really believe it because I've been, I've experienced such incredible things, both professionally and personally, that I couldn't possibly have tried to 
orchestrate. Now, having said that, you have to put in the time, you have to put in the work, you have to know what you're doing, you have to study, and you have to put yourself out there. But I've come to believe that if you do all of those things and you really put yourself out there in a positive way, then sometimes things come at you in an incredibly crazy, synchronistic, spooky way. And so I, I, it's, it's hard for me to think, well, maybe I should have done this differently. Not to say that I don't have regrets about specific situations, but um, I figure things tend to evolve according to some greater plan that I'm not mm. entirely in control of. Put yourself out there. Explain. There are a lot of people who have trouble doing that or are afraid to do that. So can you, in your words, explain what you mean by put yourself out there? Well, if you're passionate about music, you can't expect to be sitting in your living room and waiting, for example, for clients to come knock on your door and say, I'm looking for a representative or a manager or an agent or a producer, whatever it is. So literally putting yourself out there. So go where the music is. If you're into a particular genre of music, mm -hmm. go to see performances, go to see artists, go to different workshops. Coming to an event like this is really important. And this sort of gathering, back in the day it was the New Music Seminar and it was CMJ yeah. and it's South by Southwest. And I now go to a lot of these events. I speak at a lot of these events. But even in my very early days of my career, it, it had a great deal to do with how I built my business when I went out on my own, because it's about networking, it's about connecting with people, it's about putting yourself sort of in the mix. And you could go to an event like this and meet 100 people, and 75 of them you might never see again, mm -hmm. and 20 of them you might end up connecting with on some level, but maybe it doesn't end up meaning all that much, but Sooner or later, there's going to be a couple of them that might not even reveal themselves right away. I can't tell you how many times I've had the experience where I'll get a phone call from, Hi, Judy, my name is so-and-so, and, -so and um, I don't know if you remember, but we met you like four years ago, and my brother talked to you at this conference, mm -hmm. and we had a really nice conversation, and mm -hmm. now we have this agreement, and now we need a lawyer. So you, mm -hmm. you plant those seeds, and you can't ever really know for sure which of the ones that are going to turn into something down the road. But the more you immerse yourself in those situations and the more people you meet. And for me, it was very easy to do this because I actually like meeting people. I like talking to people. It's mm -hmm. not like, oh my God, now I have to go schmooze. I mean, I just find, I mean, I'll schmooze a little old lady at the bus stop. I just, I, I just feel mm -hmm. like there's a whole wide world of people and it's always, you never know what you're gonna learn from whoever crosses your path. So. If mm -hmm. you like being in those situations and if you like music, what better thing is there than to go to gigs and go hear people play music? So mm -hmm. I don't know. For, I can't speak for anybody else, and I'm sure there are other people who have different approaches, but that that's what has always felt natural to me to just, I like to dance. <laughs> you know, and I'm a musician myself, so mm -hmm. I'm sort of in the mix in a, a variety of ways, but, but music is what inspires me more than anything. So um, it's, it's not work for me to go put myself in a music-related situation. Mm -hmm. What would you say to somebody who's really shy and it's so hard for them to go, you know, we go to big events like this and some people it's very easy to go right up to you and say, hey, whatever, and other people just stand there and it's killing them to do that. You know, what would you say to a shy person in order to, for them to overcome that so that they, they can 
to say hello to somebody? Well, for one thing, we're all we're all just people. So I, I and listen, I it's not like I haven't ever been in a situation where I was intimidated. I've I I can relate to that. I'm a pretty social person, but I have my shy moments like everybody else. Um, I guess it would be a combination of just know that whoever it is that you're going to approach is probably going to be very happy to talk to you if you approach them in a polite and friendly way with a smile on your face. And I know sometimes they talk about you can be in a situation where there's a room full of people and rather than going in and trying to talk to everybody, if you just sort of find one right. person and try and talk to somebody one-on-one mm -hmm. -on -one as opposed to, you don't necessarily have to stand up at the podium and address a crowd, mm -hmm. but if you try and approach people one-on-one -on -one and Smiling goes a long way. Mm -hmm. I don't it does change a day. It does change a day, <laughs> yeah. right? That's what yeah. it said? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I have a question of how to approach. Um, so for an artist, when they're trying to find a lawyer, how do you think they should approach a lawyer and try to figure out which is the right lawyer for them, for their situation? Well, I think there are a variety of ways to get there. Certainly people who come to events like this, very often you might meet somebody in an event like this and get a chance to speak to them. Certainly word of mouth is, is a big part of it. A lot of my business, probably most of my business, comes through other colleagues or other clients or people that I've known. Um, if there's an artist whose career you really admire, maybe there's a way to find out who represents that artist. Mm -hmm. The lawyer may have a little or a lot to do with it, but certainly if you want to look at people who whose success you want to emulate, the people on their team probably have at least some degree to do with it. But I would certainly say asking around. I mean, it's the same way that you might find a doctor or a plumber. You'd probably ask your friends. Mm -hmm. And one thing that you could probably do is ask a number of different people, and if somebody's name comes up more than once, that's mm -hmm. usually a good sign. The other thing you have to keep in mind is that somebody could be really great at what they do. Because I very often have people come to me when they're looking for managers, for example, and somebody could be great on paper, but there also has to be good personal chemistry. Mm -hmm. it's, it's Sometimes it's a vibe thing, no different than mm -hmm. personal relationships. Somebody on paper could be the perfect match for somebody else, but if they get in a room and they don't feel comfortable talking to one another, it's, it's probably not right. So I always tell people to really trust their instincts, and if you feel like you're kind of clicking with somebody, that's a good thing, and if for whatever reason you're just not feeling it, you should trust that because chances are if there's some sort of weirdness between you before you start working together, not that things don't ever get better, but you have the opportunity. There's a lot of good people out there, so it's, it's good to sort of, it's, it's like getting married. When you find the right person, it's great, but until you find the right person, you're, you're better off without one than with the wrong one. So mm -hmm. I would say hold out for somebody that you feel knows what they're doing professionally, and you can also feel comfortable with personally. How can the novice, like the brand new artist, um, know that they're talking to a music business attorney who knows the nuances of, of copyright or whatever they need, versus mom, mom knows Jed, who is their, their cousin who's right. the lawyer for Right, well, I mean, I think that's a really important point that you bring up, because very often people, when they're starting out, are understandably very cost conscious and lawyers cost money and people don't necessarily have the budget to spend a lot on legal services. I totally get that. At the same time, if you hire somebody who is a real estate lawyer and doesn't know about the entertainment industry, 
that could end up costing you more in the long run. Um, it's like, you know, I wouldn't go to a cardiologist if I had a problem with my knee. So you have to find someone, and I, I would just ask them, or you, you, you know, if, if, if you look online and you find out a little bit about, the, the internet is your friend in a situation like that. Mm -hmm. So if you look somebody up, you can typically find out a fair amount about what they've done. And certainly if you, if you get a recommendation from someone who is a current client or someone who's worked with them in some other capacity, they should be able to tell you. But I would say don't be afraid to ask. And people sometimes call me about projects that are, you know, someone might call me and say, all right, I've worked with you before and I need help drafting my will. And I'm always very quick to say, listen, not my area of expertise. Right. I'd love to help you, but it would be wrong for me to try and tell you. And then I'll refer them to a colleague who does that. And people are usually pretty good about pointing others in the right direction. So mm -hmm. if somebody doesn't seem as if they know what they're talking about, I would certainly encourage them to find somebody who does. Mm -hmm. One thing I want to ask is, um, with everything you did and your experience with being an attorney and a consultant, you then decided to add on to teaching as part of your career path. Like right. How is teaching now and how is it interacting with students and things like that? You know, it, it, it kind of dropped out of the sky. I got a call one day from a colleague saying that there's a position at NYU. Would I be interested in talking about it? And I was incredibly flattered and honored and, and I said, of course, you know, it's always good to have a conversation, and I really, really enjoy it. I have been teaching graduate students. I'm actually going to be teaching more coming this fall, undergraduates as well. Mm -hmm. I'm expanding my teaching load, and I just feel that it's an opportunity to put some um, really, but the years of experience that I have and the point of view that I have. I certainly don't know everything or anything close, but I try to inject some positivity, particularly because there's so many voices out there saying, oh, the music business mm -hmm. is over, and the music <laughs> business is terrible, and mm -hmm. certainly it has changed drastically, and certain components of the music business have shrunk dramatically while other sectors are growing, so I've always felt that it was part of my responsibility as an educator is to help people feel that there's a reason that they're they and their parents are spending all this money to send them for music education. Um, I don't know if that really <laughs> answered your question, but I, I really enjoy it. I, I, I enjoy the challenge of trying to get this material into form that the students will mm -hmm. understand. I learn from them as well a lot mm -hmm. of times, especially yeah. when we're talking about some of the new technologies or social media. I'm the first to tell you some of my students know more than I do sure. about this new app <laughs> or this new technology. Sure. So it's it's a two-way street, and, and I need to stay current on what I need to teach, so it's a great mm -hmm. learning opportunity for me as well. Well, we actually, thank you, Jill. Yeah, no, too. Go ahead. <laughs> Please. We, we actually, I mean, over at our school, the period, William Patterson, we promote follow your dreams in your 20s when you get out and if you want to be a performer and so on, as long as you have that passion to do it with everything you have, we don't never go into this industry terrible, this industry, because this industry is difficult, the competition is fierce, so you better really want it. But we never, we again, against those people that talk about gloom and doom and all this, Absolutely. it sucks and so on. I don't know if you know, I first learned this from uh, Rufus Reed, who was the head of our jazz 
program for many years when I first got to William Patterson. And a couple of the jazz adjuncts were saying to, you know, the ones that basically work from job to job, you know, and, and they were starting to tell the kids that this is sucks and jet. He fired them. He wow. will not allow, wouldn't allow that in the, in, in his program. And he was right. And you shouldn't stop anyone from following their dreams. Absolutely. Absolutely. Listen, I say to my students at NYU all the time, I wish there had been a program like the one I teach in when I was studying sure. there. Because here I, I went to Columbia Law School and there was nothing about, I mean, there was one seminar about intellectual property and that was as close as you came to doing anything about entertainment law. And even though where I teach is in music business, not in the law school, there's so much more information there about entertainment law, about business. Yeah. I know the program yeah. that you guys have yeah. is really strong. And, and today's students are so lucky to have those opportunities mm -hmm. to really delve into it. That wasn't around when, when I was starting out. Yeah. And um, I always say that food and music and air and water are your primal needs. And music's right up in there with everything else. There will always be a need for music. And so they'll presumably always be something for people mm -hmm. like us to do. So mm -hmm. I tell my students that a lot. I think that music needs to reach people. And even though the form changes and the technology changes and the business structures change, what doesn't change is the fact that a great song, well performed, changes lives and can change mm -hmm. the world. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm going to bring up this point that I read that you are a firm believer in the power of music can change the world. It's true. And what makes you believe that? Well, starting with my own personal experience, I mean, who among us doesn't have certain records that have helped us get through difficult times or helped us celebrate somebody that we love? So on a, on a sort of micro level, it, it changes individual lives. And when you put all those individual lives together, it's certainly world-changing. But when you talk about things like Live Aid or We Are the World or any sort of benefit concert, the way music, music reaches people in a way that virtually no other medium can. It hits you on an emotional level, on a spiritual level, and it, it, I really believe that it transcends the differences between people in ways that almost nothing else can. I always talk about you go to a concert at Madison Square Garden, there's 20,000 people that never before or never again are going to completely agree on anything, but they agree yeah. on this. <laughs> they agree on this, right? Yeah. And so you can channel that force, whether it's to raise funds for a worthwhile charity or to raise awareness of certain issues. You have, for example, the Global Citizens Festival in Central Park. They put all these acts in Central Park, and you can't buy a ticket. The only way you can get a ticket is by doing certain I guess for lack of a better word, good deeds and, yeah. and getting involved yeah. in certain right. levels of activism and right. you have to earn your tickets. So there's all these teenagers all over the area who are going out there and really getting engaged, whether it's with respect to climate change or poverty or hunger, and it's music that is inspiring them to do that. So you look around and virtually any charity that you can see these days has some sort of celebrity goodwill ambassador. and. So artists have an opportunity through their fame and, of course, through their lyrics to be able to reach people. So I know, again, I'm, I'm, I'm sounding very hippie-ish, and I guess, I, I guess you know, I, I am <laughs> what I am. What can I tell you? But I, I've just seen it happen so many times where music really 
reaches people. And I think there are, there are scientists who also just talk about just the way, I, and, and this is above my pay grade to try and explain it, but the way the, the, the sound waves sort of synchronize with heartbeats. Now I'm sounding like I'm really out there, and I'm not that out there, <laughs> but, but, but there, there's a lot of science that backs up the fact that music, there was an article I just read about two or three weeks ago that talked about how going to live concerts, they, they did some sort of study, and going to live concerts actually lowers somebody's stress level. Mm. And I don't know the science behind it, but I certainly believe it. So that's awesome. Yeah, send them to the Golden Retriever, and it goes down even further. There you yeah. go. Yeah. There you go. That would be a good band here. name, the Golden Retrievers. There we go. Okay. There you go. Right. I'll play tambourine. Yes, you did you well that. on um, Sunday. You were playing, right? Thank you. Yeah, yes. I sang. I was in the house band and got to sing and play, and it, yeah. it was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And you sounded great. I got to be on stage with the Wrecking Crew, so that, <laughs> that, was, that was a big Dear Diary moment for yeah, me. Right. That was quite an honor. Cool. The whole house band was great. We had a great time. We're talking about doing it again, so um, I won't quit my day job, but uh, <laughs> it, was, it, it was a big yeah. treat to be a part of that. In a... Uh, Typical artist contract, you're a transactional attorney, not Correct. litigation Correct. So as a transactional attorney, um, are there trends in artist contracts between artist and label, for example, that you still see today that maybe should not still, that labels are still putting out there? Well, it really That varies. should not be there from an artist's perspective. Well, most first draft label contracts mm -hmm. are naturally skewed to the benefit of the label as opposed to the artist. The, the trend that I'm seeing, more than what's specific to an artist label contract, is that more and more artists are not necessarily jumping to pursue a label agreement. There's a lot of artists who are putting things out on their own. Gone are the days, used to be, as, as you know, where getting a record deal was like the holy grail. And there were mm -hmm. people who had record deals, and there was everyone else who was trying to Climb to be able to get on that mountain somehow and have a record deal. And now, because of the internet and social media and all of the new technologies, many artists who might even have those opportunities are looking at it and saying, well, why do I need the middleman? I can put my music out directly to my fans. Now, in certain genres, if you're a big pop artist and you're trying to get on terrestrial radio, and you're going right. to need the kind of infrastructure of a label or the radio promotion, right. then it's a different story. But for a lot of independent artists, they're finding that it's more cost-effective and easier to just do it themselves. Mm -hmm. In answer to your question, I think, that, um, I think that what's happened is that over the years, artists have, in general, and again, I, it, every situation is different. There isn't a one-size-fits-all answer. But certainly relative to the very early days, of the music business when many people weren't even represented by lawyers at all, it was really, th th there were a lot of really, really tough contracts where artists were just getting their rights just stripped away from them without really even understanding what they were mm -hmm. signing. I think today more and more people have representation and of course it depends on who the artist is. If there is more than one label interested in signing you, then you've got some leverage. Then you can negotiate and the lawyer has an opportunity to shred some of the clauses that are a little bit less beneficial. If, if you're an up-and-coming artist and you have one opportunity and that's the only opportunity you have, unfortunately you don't necessarily have the juice that you might to get those clauses taken out. I, I, you know, the other thing is that I'm, 
I'm not somebody who believes that a bad deal is better than no deals. Mm -hmm. Along the lines of what you were saying earlier, I think if the record deal is so onerous that the artist is going to feel like they're really getting screwed, then you know what? You hold out for a better deal, mm -hmm. especially now when you can put your music out. And a lot of people aren't locked into the album format. People will put a single up on YouTube. People will blast something out on their own website. There's a lot of direct-to-fan engagement that people couldn't have done back in the day. So I always tell people, just make sure, if you're before you sign any contract, take it to somebody who understands what it means. The other thing I feel really strongly about is that if artists, even if you have a qualified entertainment lawyer representing you, read your own contracts. I never tell my clients, well, I've read this and it's okay, you can just sign it. I always tell them, I want you to read it. I want you to make sure you understand it. Ask me if you have questions. Make sure that you know what this means and you know what you're getting yourself into because two years from now, if something goes wrong, you're the one that's gonna have to live with it. And I don't want someone coming to me and saying, oh, Judy, you told me this was fine. I didn't know that's what this meant. So I think people need to be informed consumers. And they need to take responsibility for that. As well, well that, uh, that too, but mostly it's about making sure that they knew what they were getting into mm -hmm. because if everything's going well in a relationship, you probably won't end up looking at the contract for a while. It's when things don't go well mm -hmm. that all of a sudden everybody's calling their lawyer and saying, what did that paragraph six say? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's important to know what you're getting into before, before you get in. Now, how do you convince a client to take the 360 deal when the 360 deal is getting so much bad press? Again, no two situations are exactly the same. My philosophy about the 360 deal or the all rights deal is that whether or not it makes sense for an artist to give up all of those rights to a particular entity really depends on what that label is going to do mm -hmm with those rights. If mm -hmm. you're talking about a situation where there's a record company and they have a fully functioning publishing company and they have a fully functional merch company and they mm -hmm. have connections in the touring business and they are really going to be doing those jobs mm -hmm. and doing them effectively mm -hmm. and having a vested interest in the artist's mm -hmm. success, then it may not be a bad situation. Of course, you want to make sure that the deal is well negotiated, yeah, but that's right. a far cry from a situation where you have a label saying, well, okay, I'm going to sign you to this record deal, and oh, by the way, I'm taking half your publishing, and I'm taking a percentage of your touring, yeah. and I'm taking some of the merch money, mm -hmm. and what are you doing for that? Oh, I'm just, I'm just going to do that, because I, and if you want to sign with my label, then I'm going to take a piece of that, mm -hmm. those other pies, because I can, basically yeah. as a land grab. I'm not a fan of that. Yeah. On the other hand, if you have a company that is really going to earn their keep in those other fields, then it may not, you know, it, right. it, it yeah. may be a good situation. I mean, we had um, Julie Greenwald in last year, and she was, you know, one of the questions was that. And she said, why wouldn't you partner with me? Because if we do this, 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 and this now. And, you know, we thought that was what any executive would say, but we have uh, since gotten, this year anyway, we were uh, pretty close to Atlantic Records when we went up there and so on. And we could see that they are really sort of putting their money where their mouth is, that they've created these departments right. that really want to work and really want to 
become experts in those other areas that would be on recording. And it was almost like, well, y you know, I could see where you would say yes, maybe over in some other label that may not be as together yet. Right, well, and in this day and age, the labels need to do that for their own sakes, yeah. not just for the artists, because mm -hmm. as the sales of records sure. have shrunk so radically, and of course, yes, streaming is increasing, right. and that's all very well and good, but for a label to survive in today's marketplace, they need to focus sure. on other income streams. So right. it's, I think that there are a lot of situations where the label is involved in those areas. Now, of course, you need to have the proper checks and balances. Right. You want to make sure that the publisher is doing its job as a mm -hmm. publisher, not just sort of taking a passive approach, mm -hmm. like, well, mm -hmm. the, lab the label is putting the records out, so I'll just collect that money. Right, right, sure. Sure, I mean, it's just that the, it's just that five, 10 years ago when the 360 deal came in, and it was always followed by the words that, well, we're doing this because we don't know how to sell records to you anymore, and you guys are stealing records, and we can never recoup from just the recording income. So for that reason, if you want to sign with us, we're going to get the income from somewhere, which is only fair, really. Uh, and we're going to do take it from these other revenue streams. So an artist automatically, you know, has that sort of feeling in their head that this record company really didn't know how to sell records to us anymore. We outsmarted them. And now they want to get the money from other places. Well, the hell with them. You know, and I think the record companies probably noted that and then decided that if we're going to take these other incomes, we better be good at it because it's only going to help us, too, if we're good at it. Mm -hmm. So, Do you see carve-out clauses in some contracts where an artist may be awesome with, with live, for example, and, they, and, and the label's offering a 360 extended rights deal, and, and you and the artist would say, you know what, they've already establish themselves as live performers for you to take a portion of that it really doesn't make sense however it does make sense for you to take these other areas you know do you see labels being there, open to that every situation is has its its own specific mm -hmm. unique qualities i sometimes say the only rule is that there are no rules mm -hmm. so if my client not just in the context of a record contract or you know a management contract, for example, sometimes a manager comes in and is going to take a percentage on everything across the board, but maybe the artist has already generated a large following in a particular geographical area or with an agent. Maybe there's one venue that the artist has been playing forever and ever and ever. So similarly to what you just said, in that negotiation, I would say, okay, fine, except over here. And you, they don't always agree to it, but I think it's always fair to put that on the table. And I think it, it comes down to where your leverage is in the situation that you described. If the label is the only game in town and the artist is saying, well, I want to carve out this particular area of my career, and the label says, no, we don't think so. The artist then has the option, well, do I want to make this deal because it's the only opportunity right now that I have or do I want to hold out? Now, with that same set of facts, if you had three other labels that were competing for the artist and the label said, no, nah, I don't think so, then the artist could turn around and say, yeah, well, I tell you what, I'm going to go across the street because this label over here is willing to do that for me. And then, of course, it's a very different ballgame. See, I did get my baseball reference in there. I did get my ballgame there. May I ask one more question? Of course. Yeah, it, it, do you have any more questions? 
If you would like to ask a question, you're allowed to. Thank you so much. <laughs> Where I grew up in the Universal Music uh, family, we always dealt with our business affairs attorneys. Mm -hmm. And I think when, especially students, they mostly think about your type of attorney, the, the attorney who's representing the artist, who's representing, well, the artist, for example, versus they aren't thinking so much of going to the Universal Music Group and working in their business affairs mm -hmm. department. Could you explain sort of the differences and uh, between the two? Well, there's, there's a lot of different ways that people with degrees in law who are getting into entertainment law can apply themselves. Certainly working in-house at a label, you basically have one client. In my practice, I represent artists, I represent managers, labels, as you talk, I, I represent different kinds of entertainment, certainly heavily concentrated in music, but I have a lot of different clients and I do what they need me to do. When you're working at a label, that label is your client. So you're doing a lot of different deals all with the same client, same way as if, if you worked in-house at a publisher or a management company or at any one of the tech companies. Now, I think that for most people going into label jobs, it's rare that I know of somebody coming right out of law school and jumping right into a job at a record company. And for that matter, I think it's rare for people to go right into entertainment law because you kind of need to learn the basics about the practice of law in general. There may be some people who've done that, but certainly most of my colleagues and anybody I know who's involved in the practice of music law started out doing a job that was a little bit more broadly based. The firm that I worked at, I had to get sort of basic training in the rudiments of what the practice of law is about because as important as it is to go to law school, it, it's not as hands-on, it's like anything else. You can go to school, but you have to kind of do it to learn how to do it. So I think for the most part, people have had to be out in practice at least for a year or two and sort of learn the real nuts and bolts of contract drafting if you're a transactional lawyer or if you're a litigator to learn what it's like to try cases. And then you can narrow your specialty a little bit more to go work for a label or work for a law firm that does entertainment law. But I don't know, I, I have not worked in-house at a label, so mm -hmm. I can't speak from personal experience about what those jobs are like. I have certainly plenty of colleagues who have. But there is legal and then there is business affairs. Very often the career track that you'll see is somebody who starts out in the legal department, which is contract drafting, and very often negotiating the same contract multiple times because the label has its form, which could be mm -hmm. sort of very thin or very thick, depending on where you are, and presenting the same form to various people, and they become very familiar with that particular contract and have mm -hmm. to negotiate it. And mm -hmm. then sometimes what happens is that after someone has been in the legal department for a number of years, they sort of graduate to business affairs, so they're more involved in actually making the deals and negotiating the deals, but not having to do all of the paperwork right. and the contract drafting when the legal department is doing that. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. Good. That's a great answer. Mm -hmm. I had never asked that question, but I... I, I, I practiced I it 17 times yeah. before I came <laughs> in. <here. laughs> that was excellent. Lisa, do you have a final question for our guest for the day? I do. Okay. So one thing about going to school at William Patterson is, and being a music management major is that we have to audition to get into it being um, to get into the major and some people have been talking about if 
that should be required of auditioning to be like to understand musicality of having musicality yourself to be a part of the business do you think that's it helps to have an advantage of under being musical yourself of understanding the artist in the industry or do you think it could be open for anybody that has passion in in music to be a part of the industry i think both i think both i think it absolutely helps i don't think it should be sort of a hard line in the sand because certainly there are many people many of whom are very successful who you probably saw in the halls of this conference who aren't necessarily musical mm -hmm. but who do have a passion and who are music fans i would i will say this that it, unless you are at the very least a music fan it would be right. hard for me to understand why you'd end up in the music business mm -hmm. i will also say that for myself having a musical background and being a musician myself has certainly given me a greater understanding of what my artist clients go through and i will also say that i very often find that if there's someone i've been negotiating a deal with who i've really enjoyed dealing with who's very human and has a sense of humor and is not just so wedded to just like the fine print of the contract that they mm -hmm. can't actually have a human interaction about it for the most part many if not most of my most pleasant experiences dealing with other lawyers have been with people who at some point I find out were also musicians or mm -hmm. sort of came up out of the love of music as opposed to just from a business standpoint and it's funny I was talking before we came in here with one of the other guys who I was in the house band with the other night at this jam and we were talking about the rigors of being on the road as a musician and one of the, the most amazing things that I've gotten to do in, in recent years, I've represented the four tops for a long time as a lawyer, and starting in 2003, I began playing percussion with them when they're <laughs> on the East Coast. I don't tour full-time, but when, they, when they're in the Northeast, I go on and I play their shows, and um, I call it the ultimate attorney-client privilege. <laughs> so, um, but it was really a revelation for me being on the road, and as, as wonderful as it is and incredible and joyous as it is to play music, being on the road is, is a tough life. And, and it's, it's great to be on stage, but then it's the 5 a.m. lobby call, and mm -hmm. then you're rushing to sound check, and you're not eating well, and you're not mm -hmm. sleeping well. And it's a thrill to do it for a short time. For people who have to do this year in and year out, it is grueling so mm -hmm. I've come to believe that anyone who wants to represent talent whether as a lawyer a manager an agent anybody who really wants to take care of artists should be forced to at least do this for a week or two and see what it's like because it really does give you a real window into how difficult mm -hmm. it is and how challenging it is I feel that understanding what the life of an artist is like and I, I haven't done it full-time so I probably only understand it a little but at least I've been in there enough to get a glimpse of it and I think it's made me a better music lawyer because I have a better understanding of what my clients go mm -hmm. through so mm -hmm. no you don't need to be a musician but you certainly do need to know that it isn't just about the money and just about the contracts that that me I mean we all know this music is magic music is mm -hmm. this powerful life force so if you don't at least have an you don't need to have to play an instrument but it, I think you really should be somebody who appreciates the mystery and magic and 
majesty. Any other M words that you guys can <laughs> think of? Of music and, yeah. and, and what yeah. makes it so special. Otherwise, you just mm -hmm. want to be, you know, yeah. selling, you know, selling, I don't know, Whatever. umbrellas. <laughs> That's right. Magnificence, by the way, would be the. Uh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. So, I think this yeah. has been actually a magnificent time together. Thank you very kindly. Yeah. yeah. It's really been fun. Thank it's you so much for having me. That's been great having Judy Tint here. It's yes. been great to have Judy yes. Tint. Judy Tint, not Tintin. Tin. Right. Judy Tint. And I realized why that was. There's Tintin Falls, New Jersey. Tintin Falls. <laughs> no relation. No. <laughs> so, but, but thank you, Judy Tint, for being here. Yeah. Thank you, Lisa pleasure. Bremer, for making this happen as well. Lisa Bremer, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And we want to thank Alyssa Warner, who could yes. not be here because she was much involved with getting Thank you, Alyssa, for inviting me. I'm, I'm really honored to be here. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank, thank you, Alyssa. I know she really wants to be here, and she's super sorry that I'm not here. Next yeah, time. She yeah. and I rub each other the wrong way, because she wouldn't be in the same room as me, so. <laughs> no. <laughs> what are you going to do, right? So, uh, Dr. Right. Dr. Stavon Marconi, thank sorry. you Here's for New being Jersey. here. Well, yes, Ooh. and my co-host, of course. <laughs> Professor David Kirkfield, we want to thank you all for listening to Music Biz 101 and more on Brave New Radio 80.7 WPSC and also for listening to the podcast. Can, I just, can I just say one more thing? You need to. I was a DJ. I, was a, I did my undergrad at Rutgers, and I was a DJ yeah. at WRSU-FM 88.7 on your dial. Oh, there we go. Like the that frequency, like 88.7. Oh. So. 88.7. That's why when you said that, it's just yeah, like that brought, right. me, that brought me back. That brought me back. We'll have so. to go down there and see if they have the same frequency and steal it. They do. Yeah. But yeah. it's just as far it's as we go. Yeah, we go to about Morristown and then it kind of. Yeah. So anyway, thank you. And uh, at the end of every podcast, every broadcast, we do not say hello because that has been done before, but we do not say goodbye. Do you know what we say? It's in a different language. You may have heard this word before, and it goes a little something like this. Adios! Adios! <laughs> <laughs>